Constructed Futures. I'm Hugh Seaton. Today I'm here with Koshal Diwan and Henning Rodell of DPR's innovation team. Gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Hugh. Thank you for having us. You guys both have a, a kind of a broad view of the industry in terms of what's coming up, what's being, what's being in, innovated, what's being implemented. And I wanted to ask, start the conversation with your view of the state of innovation in construction. So talk to me a little bit about what you're seeing, even at the highest levels or really any level you want. So I, if I were to provide a sort of perspective on kind of where it's at, you know, where we've been and, and kind of where we're going, you know, I'll share that in early days, and I'm thinking back to maybe, you know, five, maybe more, you know, years ago, it, it was very, very limited. I, I didn't see too many construction companies focusing on innovation, you know, in a strategic manner or a, a focused manner. And so it was uh, very uncommon. Uh, to hear that a construction company had an innovation team focused on 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 solving problems and, and testing new solutions. You know, fast forward to today, this is something you know where we're seeing the reverse effect, where a lot of companies have groups that are focusing on solutions and focusing on on solving company problems. So, stark contrast in the way innovation, you know, is being viewed today as a, you know, instead of what it was viewed a few years ago and seeing a it's good progress and, and good positive movement in that arena. And what do you think kicked that off? What do you think other than time, what do you think might've changed that? The biggest difference in my mind, I think is what's being, you know, what's happening externally. And I think my, my colleague here, Henning probably has some really good perspective on, on sort of uh, that piece of it. So Henning, you want to share your thoughts on that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, I think the industry itself, like we've, we've seen some transformative technologies, you know, a, a lot of industries have changed because of the internet, because of cheap computing. And I think construction is no different. We have benefited greatly from those technologies and, you know, we're, we're still going through quite a bit of, of digital transformation, but you, you can't pass up the the effect that building information modeling, virtual design and construction in general has had in our industry. And I think that was sort of a catalyst uh, for a lot of companies to start looking inwards and saying, okay, well, if this is happening, what else can we do? You know, couple that with lean and, and you, you start to see the emergence of more of these innovation groups, right? The, the benefits are actually tangible and you know, there, there's ROI and it, it just makes sense. And then once a couple of companies are doing it in the construction industry, you tend to see a lot more following suit. It is a competitive industry in that regard. And how did DPR start your innovation like as a formal thing, instead of people, you know, VDC teams sort of driving some innovation. But how did you make the decision to, to turn it into a, a formal internal discipline? This is something, Hugh, that starts with our uh, one of our four core values. Ever forward is a DPR mm -hmm. core value. So basically, all you know, simply stated, it's challenging the status quo, right? It's, it's trying to, you know, uh, improve on best practices and standards. And you know, in the early days, DPR used to have a program known as the Opportunity for Improvement, you know, OFI program. Mm -hmm. And it was a very simple process. It, you know, it was a note card that allowed any employee to suggest an improvement to a process they felt was broken. And this was uh, in our early 90s. This is when the company was still young. And what we quickly realized is that we needed to find a way to capture some of these 
you know, suggestions and, and, you know, suggested improvements and find a way to strategically, you know, tackle them and strategically find ways to solve problems that the company was facing at, you know, various levels, boots on the ground level, at the business level. And in 2011, this is when DPR formalized the group. You know, we had a, a group that the, the mission was very simple, create an environment for employees to experiment and try new things. And it was a dedicated group, and their primary focus was to create innovation pods, innovation core groups in each of our business units, and then empowering them with ideas and abilities to test new solutions you know, to the problems. Going back to, to you know, something that my colleague mentioned about external innovation, you know, venture capitalism, it has really propelled the ability for us to, mm-hmm. to look at solutions in a new way and, and create opportunities for us to pilot with you know, solution vendors. So in terms of where it started to where it's at now, you know, we've taken sort of this curiosity, this empowered feeling of trying things and learning and trying to create a framework where we can repeat that success. The beginning of it all sounded like the Toyota production system and they're kind of, you know, gathering insights, whether it was through quality circles or various other methods, and then you guys evolved it into something entirely new. Was the original thinking a little bit like that is let's give the people that are doing the work the ability to not necessarily, in this case, you're not stopping the production line because that's not a relevant point, but but giving people that are doing the work the opportunity to, to comment on and improve the work. Is that sort of some of the original thinking? Absolutely. You know, I think at, at fundamentally, we believe that you know, folks on the front lines are, are, are the best, you know, the right who's in, in making the decision because they're closest to the action, right? So how do you empower them? How do you put them in, in, in a position to be able to, you know, to steer when something needs to change or something needs to be, you know, adopted? And so that's fundamentally kind of where it started. And how much was the, the consumerization of technology, you think, driving some of this wave? You know, I think that has that kind of forced us to formalize the program a little bit. You know, it, it's a it's a question of how do you scale it up, right? From 2011 to to 2021, the company grew. It grew massively, and so this this paper based process it, it didn't scale. And so, you know, how do you how do you you know leverage all of these great ideas and set up a knowledge capture system so you're not repeating the same thing in in one part of the country and 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 in another part of the country. And so, you know, with consumerization of, of technology, it, it made it a lot easier for people to to test things on their own. And so we found it's really important and a, a large part of our job today is really how do we track that? How do we capture that knowledge so that when someone else is, you know, seeing the next cool tool or software or whatever it is, that we have a database and, and people can see like, oh yeah, we've been testing this and it's you know it's happening in Seattle. Why don't I reach out to my colleague and get their thoughts on it and see what they say? And that's that's sort of the organic nature that we're trying to, or organic conversations that we're trying to build through you know dissemination of knowledge. Let's talk about that a little bit because I think knowledge management it's not a construction specific problem, right? Every company that has thinking people in it, they generate knowledge, and and you know you want to not reinvent things as much as you can avoid it. What do you guys do to 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 avoid you know? Two, two different sites or two different teams testing something for the first time. Is there a way that you kind of publish it or, you know, just kind of, again, keep the conversation going so people know what other folks in the, in the country are doing? 
I'll, I'll share my thoughts on this. Yeah, of course. But I, I think, you know, this is a project that uh, my colleague Henning's been working on. So I'd like to give him a little more time to kind of explain what's going on there. But basically, simply put, Hugh, the, the biggest challenge is, is to be able to communicate this information effectively so people know that it's there, that they could leverage this dedicated mm-hmm. team, right, to help them solve a problem. And also, how do you make that available in a way that it's almost like a self-service model where, where people, they have a question, they know they can go to this one place, they can search. And if it's not there, then potentially that solution does not exist, right? And so my colleague Henning's been spending a lot of time, you know, trying to focus on that and evaluate that. So, you know, Henning, what are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, this is... <clears throat> This is something that you know, I noticed kind of early on when I joined the team in, in 2019. You know, we we had certain pilots happening across the the company, and I wanted to just learn more about them. And you know, it was as easy as picking up the phone and, and calling the right people. But I was starting to wonder to myself, like, you know, is is anything slipping through the cracks? We're we're a large organization, and so we we started. We we had this sort of back end system for funding requests. You know, a large, again, another large part of our job is just removing barriers so that when people have an idea or have a passion to change something, they're not bogged down by bureaucracy and and funding. So we had that backend process and I thought we could improve upon it and, and turn it more into a, hey, what's happening around the company? Make it easy to search because, you know... Vendors being vendors, they have their sales and marketing yeah. teams and they're, they're yeah. not going to email just one person. They're, they're going to cast a wide net. And that's, you know, that's that's the nature of the industry. And so we wanted to just capture that a little bit more and, and, and make it easier for the vendors themselves to to contact us. We're, we're sort of a, a major gatekeeper for anything new. So we wanted to streamline that, make it easier. And, and as uh, Koshal said, you know, a lot of people are intrigued. Maybe it's for a, an RFP uh, or it's, you know, a, a project engineer that's, you know, has a lot of energy and is passionate about changing the industry. And, you know, they don't have to start at square one. They can they can learn from their other colleagues that are in the same boat. That's amazing. And, you know, that sort of knowledge base can grow to the point where it's almost unwieldy. Do you do, I mean, how do you get people engaging with that, right? Because they have day jobs that are often kind of long days. Do you guys do a digest? Do you do events? Do you do hackathons? I mean, I've heard all sorts of different ideas in the past. We are starting to, to formalize that a little bit. It, it, you know, we have demo days now. And so vendors that enter into our system, you know, we, we look through them and, and see if there's a good fit and we invite them to, to present to our, our most innovative employees and that gives us a lot of feedback on what the company needs and is looking for. And it's, yeah, it's, it's a good overall session. What I was going to add to that, Hugh, we, we also realized the power of decentralizing some of the the stuff that the team focuses on. And we Mm -hmm. wanted to encourage others to participate, right? What's pretty clear to us is there, there are a lot of entrepreneurial thinkers in the company and how do you, involve them more? How do you leverage their expertise and passions? And so, you know, we also looked at a different model where we created these small think tanks, these small, you know, core groups in each of our business units. So what ended up happening was we basically created small, you know, mini innovation teams in each of our business units that the corporate team interacts with. So it turns into a a two-way street of not only, you know, having, uh, you know, 
closer connection to our projects and our business units, but also creating a network that we can get feedback from when it when we came down to specific solutions. Yeah, I mean, the reason I ask, and and I really like where you guys went with this, is you find in any ecosystem, whether it's a company or larger, velocity is often the best way to get things out there. There isn't a single you know silver bullet, as they say. It's just you have a lot of conversations and you know, you organize some of them and you make some of them be a little bit more ad hoc, but it's just the velocity that gets the conversation going and keeps it top of mind. I want to ask if you guys, you know, how you think about innovation as as a thing you do versus a competence you're building. And obviously both are true, but how do you think of it as a competence of the company as opposed to just activities that are organized? There is an intrinsic piece of this, you know, one of the big things culturally that, that we try to you know, get folks to realize is that innovation is not something that you set time aside for. It's not something you can mm-hmm. say, oh, I'll do it, you know, one day a week or one hour a week. It's something that just happens naturally, right? It's a muscle that you have to build. And once you have something, how do you take it, you know, how do you take it to the next level, you know? And we realize that it's, it, sometimes people need help breaking down a problem. Uh, sometimes they need mm-hmm. help in saying, okay, I've got this problem and how do I go about solving it? So how do you apply design thinking skills to just go about creating, you know, some sort of a framework or a metric that says, once I'm done with this pilot, that, that you know, I learned something from it. Henning, I think you had some other good thoughts on this one too. Absolutely. I mean, and this is, you know, another fun aspect of our job. It's the the coaching of these innovation teams that each of our business units, right? These are folks who are volunteering their time. They've obviously demonstrated a passion for changing their work or the industry and everything in between. And, you know, it's fun. We, we, we take them through the process and that's sort of the coaching that we do. So we, we have set up this sort of identify a, <clears throat> a problem or a challenge or an opportunity, identify potential solutions, you know, and then let's, let's test them. Let's actually flex that and see if it works. And, you know, that's just a cycle that repeats. And of course, you, you know, sometimes you get success right out of the gate. Oftentimes, you know, it, it, it doesn't work out the way you had imagined and that's fine. And so that's, you know, that's the part that we have to continue to reinforce. And so for the, the employees and, and colleagues who are interested in doing that, they get that opportunity. We, we offer it free of charge. And it's, it's, it's really fun, you know, especially after you can look back on a year and just see all the work that you've done and all the things that you've been able to accomplish. It's, it's really quite rewarding. I love that. That's really cool. And one of the, I'm assuming both intentional and, and, you know, lucky outcomes of that is you make it a better place to work. So as you guys think about the, the, you know, workforce challenges that right now, everybody's facing one of them. But is that part of how you think about this also is you're making DPR a better place to work to attract the talent that you know you need and you know is, you know, there's, there's going to be a bit of a labor shortage for the foreseeable future. I mean, is that part of how you guys think of this is, is you know, quality of work and quality of life? Absolutely. I, and I think, you know, Henning, you probably, since you're new to the company, you can probably, you know, give us your experience and how you feel about this, how, how it has made you feel about working at DPR. Yeah, absolutely. I when I was looking for a new job, I had two offers, and it was essentially the same role. Uh, and I ultimately ended up going uh, with DPR. And the main reason being, and I think I think it was Koshal who was saying this, is you know we have the culture, 
right? You know, do you want to be joining a company and working against the sort of top management or, you know, do you have to constantly prove and validate your idea's worth? Or do you want to work at a place where, you know, we find the intrinsic value of your idea, we understand it, and it's more of a question of how do we make it happen instead of why, why, why? And that's what sold it for me. And, you know, I hope other people who, who hear this podcast hear that story because I, I think it is a major aspect of, of working at DPR. You are given a lot of responsibility early on and, you know, that, that comes with a lot of freedom and you get to, you get to do what you want to do here. And I, I do believe that attracts the, the best and the brightest and yeah, I, I just really enjoy it. <laughs> and I think what, what makes that what, what reason I brought it up is it isn't just that you're given freedom to think and make a mistake here and there, but there's an organization that will take what, take an idea and do something with it. Because it's so common in big companies that, you know, your boss says, cool idea. And then what do you do? You know, like you had a good meeting and that's it. But the fact that you were, that's why I asked also about knowledge management and how you kind of take this massive ideas that accumulates over time and, and start to do things with it. And having an organized way to take a good idea and, and you know, assess it, it doesn't mean it's going to be, become company policy, but at least it gets a fair shake because there's a, there's a, a process in place for it. So Absolutely. I, Absolutely. Yeah, that was, that was kind of an open-ended one. So I want to talk a little bit about how, how you guys look at, you know, there's kind of three pieces to this question is identifying needs that, that technology might or might not address, and then how you go approach outside innovations and then, you know, or if you sometimes develop solutions internally. So just start starting with the, the kind of problem identification. How does that typically work? Identification, I, I mean, it's sort of, this is a tough one. You know, it's, you can say, well, let's just build a database and then throw all of our problems in there and then be easy to, to identify, you know, what the top problem is, right? And that's, honestly, that's something we're trying to do right now. But I can tell you, it comes in, in many forms. You know, sometimes it comes by just way of luck. You're visiting a job site, you talk to a superintendent, and then you realize mm -hmm. that he's explaining something to you that's a either a symptom of a problem or a problem itself. And then you do many other similar interactions by visiting other jobs, and you find out, hey, a lot of people are facing the same challenge, right? Sometimes problem identification comes by way of data. You know, you start seeing patterns when you see something, mm -hmm. you know, the same thing occurring on multiple job sites. And, and sometimes it's, you know, it, it's something you just kind of uh, not obvious, but you, you stumble upon. But yeah. I don't know, Henning, I think this is another one of those things where you, you've kind of spent some time exploring and evaluating. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah. I like to think of it as, as problems and opportunities are two sides of the same coin. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as, as Koshal said, we are trying to build a database here. In, in short answer, I think we have too many problems that we can solve with our current resources today. And that, that's true with any large organization. And that's fine. And so it's, it's a question of, okay, where do you spend your effort? And, you know, we're a small team in, in a, also a very large organization. And there's a lot of other folks in corporate service that have problems that they're working on. And so it is a question of, okay, what are we capable of solving and what are we, where, where can we really add value instead of being another cook in the kitchen? So you're balancing that out. But as Koshal said, that it comes in many forms and we, we go out and we, we interview teams and we ask them, you know, challenges that they're facing. We visit job sites and, and just have these sort of one-on-one -on -one conversations and, you know, cross-reference that with, with 
you know, similar people in different roles or, or amongst each other. And that's, you know, that's enough to, to keep us busy for the time being. And how often do you find, you know, a, a company will come to you and, and they have a solution to a problem you were probably aware of, but they really open up the opportunity to do something differently or something really new. Is that a big part of your process as well? It's, it's not, it, it happens, it does happen. And, you know, I would say our team is a bit more opportunistic Right. We're we're happy to have that conversation with a vendor. I think the assumption here is that the vendors themselves are doing their homework as well. Mm -hmm. Right. You're not getting funding based on a whim. You're you're getting market data. You're you're doing those interviews. And so the intrinsic understanding is that, yeah, they they've probably done their homework and we can we can probably identify it within our company as well. But to say that, you know, hey, this this vendor emailed me the day after I just had a conversation with somebody, you know, that, that does happen, but it's it's not the norm. Well, what I'm getting from your answer, though, also is is something that I, I hear, but it's nice to hear, you know, really hear it because sometimes it's it's implied is outside of an organization, it can seem like you see something that they don't see inside an organization. And I think People that create products and, and technologies for construction often miss the power of being in the middle of it. And, and you know what I mean? Like you, you work at the company, mm-hmm. so you see, a, you see a level of nuance that is really hard to even approximate outside. So things that are a little obvious to you or certainly are not revelatory. I think people probably show up at your doorstep thinking that they're about to rock your world and you're like, hey man, this is great. Thank you. But we kind of know. You see that a little bit? That happens too. (laughs) I'll add something there, Hugh. You just kind of touched on something that's really important too is sometimes vendors don't know the problems that that we have, right? And they they, they make Mm. an assumption. And there are situations Mm -hmm. where we test a solution and then create a problem that's new and it didn't exist before. But now that we've tested the solution, we've created a new problem. And so mm-hmm. you kind of get both sides of the coin. I think the, the the times where we have you know greater degree of success is when we work with the vendor early on. They you know they spend time exploring and understanding what the problem is, and then they tailor their solution in a way that actually helps us solve it. And but that. Yeah. Those kind of efforts, they, they don't happen as frequent as much as we want to. And but the times that they do happen, it's a longer engagement. It's 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 sort of a, a partnership. You know, it's not just, you know, pay for our software and 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 off you go kind of thing. I wonder if construction is one is one of those industries where that's a little rare, where where you it's just gonna work on its own. I mean, are there gonna be examples like, you know, box or dropbox where okay, it is what it is. But you just hear over and over again that service is, is a piece of going to market in construction because of the complexity of, of the jobs and, and how there's a, you know, a level of uniqueness. But you see that in other industries. Medical devices are the same thing. You, you, don't, you don't sell a thing without some service. I'm going to just make a point there. One thing that I'm seeing and, and observing, that there's, a, there's a debate whether is it make more sense to uh, you know, invest time and, and deploy a platform which does, you know, start to finish all the processes, you know, on a construction project lifecycle, or do you invest your time in point solutions that do, you know, one-off processes really well that a platform does not do really well? You know what I mean? So that's a, that's a big debate right now, Hugh, of where do companies spend their time? You know, is it a mixture of both? Is it one? Is it the other? That's a huge debate right now. Well, that actually leads to the question I was going to ask, actually, and that is, you know, outside of construction, the amount of, of money that's spent on core IT 
is often higher than it is in construction. That's one of those those statistics that gets thrown around a lot. And there's there's some merit to it, I'm, I'm assuming. And some of that is that historically, it just hasn't, IT hasn't been, obviously you have, you know, the basics, but hasn't been as important as it might be in some other industries. And one of the things that IT often does is what a platform does, right? Is they, they create an enterprise bus or some version of that that will consume different services and make them available to everybody who's on the system. As you guys think about innovation, again, more broadly and as a you know, multi-year process, is, is IT growing, do you think? And we're happy to speak at DPR level or even more broadly than that. But do you see that IT is beginning to spend more or be given more responsibility for some of the things you might have expected a platform to do externally? I mean, if I were to speak to that real quickly, I would say, you know, as a company, what I'm starting to see a little more of is every, every company is, is a technology company to some degree, right? And as a lot of these solutions come online, as you see, there's also threats in terms of cybersecurity, you know, challenges and, and whatnot. Yeah. I do see, you know, this area growing specifically for construction. It, it's ripe for innovation. It's ripe for, you know, improvement. And so in my mind, I see that I see that growing in the years to come. And, you know, it, it could even get to a point, Hugh, where technology could even change the core revenue of a construction company you know, where construction was the, the bread and butter, right? But that's, yeah. you know, you, you're now like going into the BHAG world where it could be a goal. When you look at Amazon as an example, I'm not sure that if you asked them 15 years ago, if, if web services or cloud services would be, you know, one of their main drivers of profit, that they would know that. They may have been a glint in someone's eye, but, you know, over time, their internal competence became such that they could rent it outside. I don't think it's crazy to think that something like that might happen with, a company the size of DPR, where you find some of your internal processes are, you know, worth renting out, whether it's to an owner or someone else. Who knows? So I want to end with kind of an open-ended question about kind of projects or directions or or kind of initiatives that you're particularly proud of. You know, right now we've been putting a lot of uh, effort into robotics. And by we, I mean the Koshal and I, we've been working a lot of different companies and, you know, I'm, I'm going to be moving more and more into robotics. <clears throat> I think as just a, you know, following my passion, which is, which is really fun and exciting. And also because the, you know, the outside investment has, you know, made robotics come down to a price point that works for construction, as well as you know, just technology in general has enabled you know field robotics, and I'm I'm very excited about that. We've we've had some really exciting pilots in in my just my two years of working here, and I just I see this as a growing movement. So I'm very excited about that. I'm very proud of the work we've done so far, enabling sort of new business cases. We've we've already generated some some value for the company, and I think we can do a lot more. So that's that's always good, you know. The innovation, you're always wondering, am I am I really doing the right thing for the company? Are we are we just kind of chasing a shiny object? And I can say with this program so far that we've we've really impressed the right people and done some fun stuff. So I'm excited to to keep working on that and I'm I'm proud of what we've done so far. That's super exciting. Yeah. You know, there there's a project that I, I'm really proud of and actually led to, you know, development of two other things for us as a company. You know, we a few years ago, you know, about the time when Henning started with our team, we, we launched a company wide idea competition. And the goal was 
how do you engage, you know, with the company? How do you involve folks in suggesting, you know, solutions that they think could help the company in a big way? And we really just kind of opened it up, right? We said, no idea was too crazy, you know, give us your wildest ideas, but then tie it in some ways to a company strategy or something that, you know, that aligns with the direction we're trying to go. And, you know, that idea competition generated 172 proposals within you know, a span of two weeks. And it really wow. kicked off this, you know, it really validated to us that, hey, if we engage the company in the right way and, you know, give them a challenge, we can really get some outstanding results, you know, and that competition increased our employee engagement from 35% to 92%, you know, for wow. about, you know, six months. So that proved to me that the hunger, the passion, you know, the employee engagement is there. And what that competition also kicked off for us is when we identified the winner, it created ability for us to explore developing, you know, products, internally developed products. So that kicked off an effort to now, you know, we're exploring product development internally, both not only for the internal mm -hmm. customer, but maybe even solutions that we can spin out as commercial products. And then the second thing that was related to that competition, we had a field foreman who, you know, a very entrepreneurial thinker, and he spotted a problem in the field where he was trying to do vertical building control. And there wasn't a, a, a product available for him to do that effectively. So what did he do? He designed his own. He, he took SketchUp, he took, you know, uh, a 3D printer that was laying around and he designed his own product and he started printing these concrete sleeves that, that were, you know, voids for that he could use, you know, as he was doing building control. Let's fast forward to now. We have pursued a patent with the USPTO. We're waiting to hear back if the patent is approved, but we also commercialize that product. You know, we are in the process of mass producing those and, and deploying them to all of our DPR projects. So those are two examples of how an idea went from a concept to something somebody was passionate about and, you know, going through the necessary steps of design thinking and, and evaluating has led to bigger results for the company. I love that example. And the fact that, that innovation was a tool for culture, I don't know, culture change so much as culture kind of excitement and innovation was, was a, is a really cool one. Gentlemen, thank you for the time on the podcast. I've learned a lot and really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you, Hugh. Thank you for your time, Hugh.